Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Ticks. They're bad enough when you're taking a stroll in the country. They're worse when they're near your garden. What can you do to thwart ticks in your garden? We have tips. It's summer and both you and your plants are wilting in the heat, especially when it's approaching triple digit temperatures day after day. Here's what you can do to help your plants. Nectarines, they're a tasty homegrown fruit, but they're beset by a wide variety of problems. America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, talks about the litany of possible solutions. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we're brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. You can give us a call at 916-292-8964, or you could text us at that number. You can go to speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics and just yell at your computer if your computer has a mic built into it or or your smartphone and you won't incur any phone charges. Speakpipe.com dot com slash garden basics to leave a question email sure send it to fred at farmerfred.com all the regular social media outlets facebook twitter instagram and at the gardenbasics.net website as well you can uh, leave a question and i i like to relax when answering these questions so i bring in debbie flower our favorite i'm sorry america's favorite retired college horticultural professor Lo, all these years uh, to answer these questions <laughs> with us. To uh, I'm just here for comic relief. Who's this? We don't know. People, if you're going to text me a message, give me a name. You can make up a name. I don't care what you want to call yourself, but give me a name. Let's call him 574. Okay, we'll call him 574. Oh, good point. Yes. We have your phone number, 574. I'm yeah. not going to give that out, but 574 at least you could have told us what city you're in, and you can't really go by area code Not anymore. anymore. No. no, people move and they keep their phone numbers. Yeah, so at least tell us with a certain degree of accuracy where you live. I don't need a street address. I don't even need a street. Give me a city. Give me a county. Give me a part of the state you're in. Whatever. Just that helps us. All gardening is local. It sure is. Anyway, this question is from somebody, 574. Who says, greetings, I have a pest question. I'm preparing my garden for tomatoes and other edibles, but I'm having a tick problem. How can I manage ticks and not impact the produce I'm growing? Is there a natural spray or a remedy? No. Goodbye. Oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe you have an idea, Debbie, but the t- ticks are a tough one. Ticks are a tough one. And boy, when it's a big tick year in a tick-infested place. It's a big tick here. They're like everywhere and you get zillions on your body. So the thing you have going for you, 574, is that you are creating the habitat. You are creating the garden. You need to understand that ticks live on the ground in wet, shady places. So as much as possible, remove those wet, shady places from your vegetable garden. In fact, there was some news, some a cooperative extension site. Typically, ticks are found in forests 
in places that get regular summer rain. I know my sister lives in New Jersey. She has a big piece of property, lots of lawn. And we went out back and went hiking in the forest behind and we came back covered with ticks. So keep your vegetables, your edibles away from that tick infested area, which you probably want to do too anyway to to get the proper sun for the growth of those plants. Put a layer of something non-growing, about three foot wide swath of bark mulch would work, some sort of gravel would work between the edge of that heavily vegetated area. In my sister's case, it would be the forest behind her house and your lawn. That prevents the ticks, hopefully, from traveling from the forested area onto the lawn. Then it suggests nine feet of grass, something that you can mow, something that you keep short before you get to the places that are heavily used by humans. So the patio where you eat dinner, the vegetable garden where you grow your vegetables. So you're 12 feet now away from any heavily vegetated, moist, shady place where ticks love to live. Don't they live in lawns? I don't know. I've seen ticks in lawns. Have you? Yes. They do live on the ground. Yeah. Okay. So I'd put in a 12-foot moat. A (laughs) moat. Good idea. (laughs) But yeah, no, especially talking about moist and shady, a lawn, if you don't keep it cut short. Well, that's the thing. You have to keep it cut short. Yeah. And some varieties of grass just don't take to being cut short. So That's very true. But in the places where ticks heavily infest are places that are have much more humidity than we have here in California. We keep our grass fairly tall to preserve the moisture in it, to have a good deep root system and for it to shade itself and for it to shade the soil so that it uh, retains more moisture. In places where, it, like my sister's house in New Jersey, where it uh, ticks are a big problem, they mow their lawn quite short. Yeah. But even in urban areas like here, I could take you on a 20 minute walk and you would have ticks on you. Yeah. In, in well, sorry. <laughs> but, but, you know, they're, they're trails that are, are going through. But they're going through forest. areas. Well, they're not, they're not forest, but just overgrown Vegetated, vegetation. shady, moist yes. places. Right. So that's the goal here is to separate where you're growing the vegetables from the shady, moist places. So, you know, you don't want a lot of shrubs nearby. You don't want a lot of ornamental trees nearby. Of course, if you're growing raspberries, you're going to have a whole bunch of shrubs, for instance. Raspberries are they're cane growers. They're kind of a shrubby plant. So you're not going to be able to eliminate it, but you're going to be able to reduce the quantity. What about mulch? Good or bad? Well, I was surprised when they said to use uh, a three-foot swath of, of bark chips. They don't say how deep. I mean, that seems to me to create a shady, moist place. Yeah, especially in certain seasons like spring where you might have some April and May rain mm-hmm. and that would certainly increase the uh, tick population. But I, I think Ray was trying to sway us to recommend some product that he could spray. Uh, and they exist. You can get them. But it's uh, really, a, as in IPM in general, it's a last ditch effort. IPM, that's a bowel disorder? <laughs> integrated pest management. Oh, okay. Integrated pest management. Right. Yeah. Okay. So if you do spray, and there are lots of sprays out there that exist, a perimeter spray, so around, whether it's around your whole yard or around your vegetable garden uh, in the spring, and then again in late summer, of course, follow all label directions. And when you're out there working in the garden, prepare yourself, protect your body. So that means wear long clothing, long sleeve shirt and pants. And they didn't mention this in the article, but uh, you can purchase clothing that is, is penetrated with pesticides. So that you don't have to put it on your skin 
It's in your clothing, and so that would keep the ticks from coming to you. You're talking about DEET? DEET is the preferred uh, pesticide. I don't know that that's what's used in the clothing, but DEET is the preferred pesticide for keeping ticks away, and that anything that's exposed, you want to have long pants, long sleeve shirt, in a light color, because ticks are dark, you want to be able to see them. Mm -hmm. You want to stick your pants legs into your socks so that when the tick, if it's the other way around, the tick could climb up your leg under your pants like so you're trying to prevent that from happening and you're going to see them on the white sock and you're going to see them on the white sock yes you suggested white socks yes yeah there are a lot of chemicals suggested to control ticks which i guess are an acaricide or an arachnid arachnid they're arachnids does that mean they have eight legs I don't know. I don't know if all arachnids have eight legs. Arach- mm. Spiders are arachnids, and they often go through a cycle, one of their instars of development, where they only have six legs. You have a picture right there. Does that one have eight legs? Well, let's see. Maybe it's a carasides is the word I was looking at. One, no, two, there's eight. three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, there's eight legs there uh, on that uh, critter. Blood-engorged critter, it looks like. So insecticides in general aren't going to work they have to be specific to and a a carocide yes yes that so what controls a carocides stuff i don't want to handle uh bifenthrin carbaryl can you even get carbaryl anymore Uh, not in california not in california no cyfluorethrin uh delmethrin uh permethrin and pyrethrin uh, which pyrethrin is pretty available. Yeah, it's pretty available, but, but it's a polluter in water. <laughs> and what are the restrictions on using that around food crops? Right. So you have to consider that. You have to read and follow all label so directions. So you're going to have the perimeter spray. Then it's going to have to be farther away from the. It's not on the food crops, and a perimeter spray wouldn't be. It would be on the ground. Remember, ticks live on the ground, and that's where you're trying to stop them from getting into your your bed. I would say use a raised bed, although raised beds create their own shady moist spots in the, along the edge of the bed. But a garden bed would have to be kept clean then too, the fallen leaves, yes. debris and things like that. Yes. So a clean garden, uh, a perif- perimeter spray, yeah, that is not right next to your food. Wear the right stuff. Remove your leaf litter. Leaf litter as Fred was saying, remove that out of the garden so it doesn't provide the conditions that attract ticks. Keep deer out. Deer, yeah, bring them in. You know who else brings them in? Pets. Lizards. Oh, do they? Lizards are a tick magnet. I had no idea. Quit kissing lizards. Well, my cat eats them. Well, then check your cat for ticks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, ticks love lizards. I had no idea. I That's didn't strange. Either. Yeah. Uh, where, where did I get that piece of information, you ask? Out of a 75-page PDF that you can uh, download from Connecticut, from the Connecticut Agricultural Experimental Station called the Tick Management Handbook. And guess where Lyme disease got its name? What state? Uh, Connecticut. Oh, I was thinking that, but it might be Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) That part of the country, anyway. Okay. Yeah, well, that would make sense. Yeah, right next to New Jersey. Yeah, that's a very... Well, uh, the American Lyme Disease Foundation is in Summers, New York. mm -hmm. I don't know what that has any relationship or not. To the, to the location of, yeah. Yeah, by the way, we're going to blow uh, 574's cover here because I just looked up to see where the 574 area code is. And chances are he does live there because it's a brand new area code oh. that went into effect in north central Indiana. 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 So another place that has ticks. Yeah, well, there's lakes up in the north if it's north central. So around think around Notre Dame, that area, university. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, uh, the tick problem. The other thing, too, about DEET, 
Can I tell you my DEET story? Of course. Fortunately, it didn't happen to me. It happened to other people on this particular bike voyage. It was a fundraiser for the American Lung Association. We biked from Seattle to Atlantic City. Oh, my gosh. And at some point along the way, I can't remember exactly where, there was a tick issue Mm -hmm. and a mosquito issue. Mm -hmm. And so you reach for the DEET. And... Instead of putting it on the skin, uh, people were just spraying it on their Lycra clothing. Mm. Within hours, their bike biking shorts looked like Swiss cheese. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So it was a, an exciting day. Wow. I know that DEET is... Some people can react very negatively to it and have sickness symptoms after DEET. So use it lim- in a limited way. And read, or read and follow all label directions. Yes. yes. Yeah. And certainly not on your biking Lycra. Yes. Lyme is in the town is a town in the state of Connecticut. Oh, okay. And that's where Lyme disease was discovered, which is one of the diseases that ticks carry. The other thing too with ticks is you got to check yourself for ticks. You do. If you if you're around ticks, uh, you know, it, it's a tick checking party. Mhm. To mm-hmm. Uh, take care of them. They can be very small. Yeah. And pull them straight out with fine-tipped tweezers. Right. Don't I had a, a boyfriend in high school who would burn them with his cigarette. That's not helpful. For a number of reasons. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. And to place the clothes in a hot dryer to kill the ticks. If there are some still there, yeah, you want to kill them. Yeah. All right. So controlling ticks in a garden, you need that demilitarized zone. I think That's that really happen. works. It works for my sister for sure. Okay. And probably chemical controls, a last resort. A last resort. Right. Yeah. But even if with a demilitarized zone, always check yourself and anything you bring in from that vegetable garden for ticks. All right. And don't lick any lizards. <laughs> Debbie Flower, thanks so much for your help on this. You're welcome, Fred. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied Smart Pot owners who have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose Smart Pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate Smart Pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in Smart Pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of Smart Pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the Smart Pot. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com fred. And don't forget that slash fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. 
The searing summer heat has returned to our area with a vengeance. Several consecutive days of 100-plus readings can sap the strength of area gardeners while wilting or killing underwatered plants. So this week's Things to Do list, we're talking about heat versus your plants. Are your plants starting to wilt in the afternoon? Well, wilting is a natural defense mechanism used by many plants during hot afternoons to conserve water. If you're worried about when you see wilting, dig down about 6 to 8 inches and check the soil moisture. Or use a moisture meter. Add water only if moisture is absent around the root zone of the plant at that depth. However, when you see a wilting, say, tomato vine, coleus, or fuchsia in the morning, that's when you know your plants probably do need a good long drink of water. Mornings are the best time for both humans and plants during heat waves to take care of weather-related outdoor garden problems. As you enjoy the briefly cool early hours outside, keep some of these hot weather garden tips in mind. Even during heat waves, lawns and gardens don't need to be watered every day. Two or three times a week is plenty. Newly planted annuals and emerging seedlings, though, have shallower roots. So new seed beds and young plants may need a daily irrigation. Containerized plants in the sun probably need watering every day during heat waves as well. Raise the containers off the ground with a plant stand or a couple of pieces of wood or bricks. This will help keep the pot cooler by improving air circulation. Another tip for protecting your potted plants in the full sun, if you have bigger empty pots hanging around, consider putting the smaller potted plant inside that bigger empty container. Insert mulch between the larger pot and the smaller pot to reduce the heat from the sun even more. Or surround the potted plant that's in full sun with other pots or even line them with paper bags on the outside to reflect the heat of the sun. There is a downside of daily watering of potted plants fertilizer is being leached out of the soil more quickly. So instead of a once a month feeding regimen, fertilize plants in pots every two weeks. Just be sure to cut the fertilizer dosage in half. During extended heat waves or if you're going on vacation, consider grouping containerized or hanging plants on the cooler side of the house, such as the north or the east side. Mulch can help you out a lot. A 4-inch layer of bark mulch applied beneath the canopy of trees and shrubs will help conserve water, control weed germination, and keep the soil cooler. Just because it's hot, don't love your drought-tolerant California native plants to death with too much water. California natives like ceanothus or oak trees, especially the blue oak, prefer it on the dry side in the summer. A once-a-month watering is plenty for them this time of year. And again, I can't stress this enough, don't let the dry surface of the topsoil fool you. Check the soil moisture down at the root zone, 6 to 8 inches deep. If it's only the top few inches that are dry and your established plants look healthy, well, fight that urge to waterlog those roots. If you're traveling about and one of your stops includes the local nursery or garden center, well, make it the last stop of the day. A plant that's left in a hot car for as little as 15 minutes may stress it beyond recovery. And you too, stay cool. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams, but maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? 
Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. To help us answer garden questions, Debbie Flower is here, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor. And Debbie, we get this question from Pat. We think, we're guessing Pat lives in the Sacramento area. We're not sure, though. Right. Please tell us where you live, folks. Okay. Anyway, Pat says, I'm attaching pictures of two varieties of white nectarines, one with a clear sap-like crystals on nearly all the fruit on one tree. The other is showing cracks on the fruit. There might be bird pecks on them, too, but definitely there are cracks. Please diagnose and suggest remedies. Well, Debbie Flower, <laughs> when it comes to pests of nectarines, the list fills a page of the culprits. Yes, there are lots and lots of things that could be doing this, many of them insect-type, invertebrate-type pests, but also some disease are a possibility. So the number one thing that Pat needs to do is figure out what's causing the problem. Yes, got to ID the pests. Yes, you got to ID the pests before treating. So some ways of doing that are... One, to go out at night when some things are feeding, when it's cooler, maybe moisture on the plants and see if there's anything on the fruit. Another is to set up some traps for pests that have the potential for damaging. The one I'm thinking of specifically is earwigs. They do feed on fruit and they make a nice deep hole with their mouth parts. They're very common. They're very easy to trap. Uh, the easiest way I like is to take a small can, like a tuna can or a cat food can, sink it so that the rim is right at soil level, put uh, some oil in it. They like tuna fish oil, smelly oil, or you can use vegetable oil with a little bit of soy sauce, and they will come to it, fall in it, and it needs to be about at least a half inch deep. So I've also added water sometimes to, to raise that. Uh, depth to a half inch, and they fall in and drown. It would give you an idea of whether you have them. Mm -hmm. I would be surprised if you don't. But whether they're feeding on the fruit or not, that you might see at night. Yeah, there's a, you got to be able to at least trap them or capture them in order to see them. The uh, buried tuna fish or cat food can is one way to do that. There are traps available, sticky traps that you can hang in the tree, and they would at least catch the adult version of the pest if it is a pest but it's probably the larvae of the pest that is doing that's a possibility burrowing yes. too but just in order those sticky traps are very handy for just seeing who's around your yard mm -hmm. you might be surprised different colors of sticky traps attract different things uh, another pest that was listed for these nectarines as a possibility is western flower thrips mm -hmm. and thrips are attracted to blue yeah yeah they sticky are sticky traps for as a former viticulture instructor you, mm -hmm. you know that uh, the, that pest is a big one in grapes mm -hmm. yes and they're difficult to control yes 
all I think all the blue traps will let you know is you have a problem. Right. And then you have to take it from there. What do you do? <laughs> Go to the UCA and <laughs> our website and find out what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. But it could be thrips. It could be earwigs and also a rolled up newspaper. A rolled up damp newspaper can mm-hmm. uh, uh, help you uh, figure out if it's uh, earwigs, earwigs or not. They like wet places. They'll go there. During the day. Yeah. They, they're looking for a moist place to go during the day. And so th- that's a clue. If earwigs are your problem, then perhaps your tree needs some pruning, thinning pruning to open it up to get more air in there because the earwigs need to hang around where it's kind of moist. If, if you do have a very dense tree, that's a, a possible solution. There are also... Stink bugs that could be the culprit. There could be a ligus bug, a Katie did, any number of borers, uh, box elder bugs. The list goes on and on. We'll have this link uh, from the University of California Ag and Natural Resources about all the uh, culprits that could be attacking nectarines and peaches. And that includes diseases, too. And a lot of the uh, symptoms that were shown in this picture resemble what happens when you get corneum blight, also known as shot hole disease. And that, too, is a problem due to water. Yes, moisture, too yeah. much moisture in the plant. I have an, uh, an apricot that gets shot hole. Uh, and if I don't prune a- away enough of the uh, vegetative portion so the air can blow through. And also uh, not letting a spray from sprinklers get too high in the tree. Right. Keep it low or use a drip irrigation uh, system in order to minimize uh, the foliage getting wet. Basically, just uh, like you say, improving the air circulation yes, there. Yes, that can do a lot for, for preventing pest problems. And then there's post-season care of the tree as well, which could involve a, a spraying regimen of copper or something like that during the winter if you've positively identified it as the fungal disease, uh, corinium blight. Right. Then... That would be one of the ways to reduce that infestation. But again, we need to figure out what the pest is. We need to know what the pest is. So in the meantime, if you've got some healthy fruit and it's not quite ripe, you might want to get some small paper bags or they do make uh, net bags for netting fruit. It's done a lot in Japan. They have a thing for their perfect fruit. Uh, And you can net each little fruit. Yes, you can. And prevent... The pest, not the cranium blight, but you can prevent the insect-type pest from getting to the fruit. Would you like my fruit bags? I'll, <laughs> you, I'll you, give them to you. You have some? No, I, I'm not that ambitious. <laughs> okay. I, I actually did that one year here Yeah, when, when all my Flavor Supreme pluots disappeared. Oh. And I had bagged- a raccoon or something? It's somebody who knows how to work their little claws yeah. was able to open the bag, remove- Oh, my goodness. Yes, open the bag, remove the bag, and go after the fruit. Wow. I bet that was a raccoon, a, you know, nature's engineer. Yeah, somebody who had the time during the night <laughs> yes. to uh, yes, to a do lot that. goes on at night. So I would encourage you, Pat, to go out at night, uh, maybe last thing before you go to bed, uh, with a flashlight and see what's going on. You might find things that you had no clue were happening in your yard. And again, we'll have a, a couple of links for you about more information about nectarine pests and diseases, as well as environmental disorders yes. that, that might be playing a role in this too, like sunburn, for example. But uh, we'll have those links for you. Pat, thank you so much for the question. Debbie Flower, thanks for uh, getting to the bottom of this sort of. <laughs> I'm getting somewhat down there. Yes. Okay. You're welcome. You may have listened to our chat with Master Gardener Susan Mucky about how to start a worm bin. 
but she brought up one issue about an intruder to your worm bin or your compost pile. They're called soldier flies, and when you first see them milling about in the worm food or in your compost bin, you might recoil a bit. Adult soldier flies are rather large, almost an inch long, and they look more like a wasp than a fly. And you don't want to confuse soldier flies with the beneficial insect, the soldier beetle. So what are those soldier flies doing in your worm bin or in your compost pile? Are they good or bad? And should you remove them? You might be surprised at the answer. In fact, the entrepreneurial among you might even want to start raising soldier flies for profit. It's all about soldier flies in the next Beyond the Basics newsletter and podcast. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Beyond the Basics newsletter. It's coming out Friday, July 1st. Find it via the link in today's show notes or visit our website, gardenbasics.net. There you can find a link to the newsletter in the tabs at the top of the page. Also, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, as well as read an enhanced transcript of the podcast episode that you're listening to now. It's at GardenBasics.net, where you can also link to the Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And it's free! Look for it on Friday, July 1st. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. Find it at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.